Hey guys, happy Friday morning. It is roll-up time, third week of June. David, you ready to get into the roll-ups? Absolutely. My favorite piece of content out of the Bankless ecosystem is, of course, the Friday Weekly Roll-Up, where we roll up the entire week of news in the crypto industry in as fast as possible. Uh, and so we go through the markets, what's happened in the market releases, news, ecosystem takes, and then we finish off with what Ryan and David are excited about. And of course, the cherry on top, the meme of the week. This episode is a little bit different in that we are actually sprinkling some memes throughout Ooh. the episode. And so if you want Easter all the memes. memes, you're going to have to stay to the very end because there are little Easter eggs of memes throughout this entire episode. It's going to be a good one. Absolutely. You guys can check that out to get the, the most memes into your brain via YouTube. That's the way to get this visually. It also comes out on the podcast. David, before we get in, we got to talk about our friends at Ledger because they're doing some amazing things with Ledger Live. So if you have a Ledger, as I think many listening to the Bankless program do, not just one, but many ledgers, there are new ways you can start. You, oh God. There are many ways. There are new ways you can start using it in DeFi. All sorts of new ways through Ledger Live. Do you want to talk about this for a second, David? Yeah, totally. I think we're we're going to get into this, but I think we're in this big consolidation period in crypto, and this is the time for you as a listener to refine your your crypto environment, right? Like if you just like yeeted into crypto in the last few months and you haven't really figured things out and you don't have a hardware wallet yet, you need to get a hardware wallet. Ledger is like like the first stop into the world of banklessness and the combination of a ledger hardware wallet plus the ledger live software it really unlocks a lot of the powers of DeFi as like a really easy stepping stone to get into the world. So uh, if you're new to DeFi, if you have friends that are new to DeFi, the Ledger, is, the Ledger mobile, uh, the, the, excuse me, the Ledger hardware wallet is something you absolutely need and it pairs very well with a Ledger live app. Absolutely, guys. So uh, now's the time. Get your equipment prepared. We've got kind of a, a lull in the market. So make sure you've got the right equipment for the bankless journey. Uh, and you can see a link in the show notes to help you with that. That's bankless.cc slash ledger YT. All right, David, you ready to talk about markets? Market time. All right. What is happening in the markets? And I mean, what is happening in the markets? Uh, Bitcoin, let's start there. Where are we at? We are at $38,300, still struggling to keep its head above that $40,000 mark, which is where Bitcoiners have said that they kind of feel safe. Bitcoiners feel safe above $40,000. Below it, yeah, we're still kind of in no man's territory. Don't really know what we're doing. We had the El Salvador news this week, and that pumped up Bitcoin up to $43,000. But it, uh, it quickly retraced all the way back down to $40,000, kept its head above $40,000 for $40,000 for most of the week, but now we are dipping once again below that $40,000 mark. Yeah, are people disappointed in that? Did they think the El Salvador news would be more persistent? Um, it seemed like there were some good things that came out of that, but also maybe some regulatory FUD that came out of that. So it's a double-edged sword, or maybe mm -hmm. just just doesn't excite the market as much at, at this point in the cycle. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it is a classic indicator of a bear market that good news does not show up in the charts. And we, I have to say that that's what I'm seeing right now. Like the El Salvador news did not really revitalize Bitcoin in the way a lot of people hoped for. 
That being said, uh, at the same time, uh, there is generally a lull between good news with Bitcoin and where it actually does show up in the markets. For example, MicroStrategy, for example, which we know that literally the Bitcoin price is higher because of MicroStrategy. How could it not be? They have a, over 100,000 Bitcoins on the balance sheet. Uh, but the, the MicroStrategy news didn't really get to start being reflected in the Bitcoin chart for multiple weeks afterwards. I think it was like six to eight weeks afterwards. And so that's kind of the narrative that I'm hearing from uh, CK, my, my favorite Bitcoiner. Uh, and they just people Bitcoiners think that like, oh, yeah, we're, we're in this like the world's going to have to like come to terms with this and they're going to figure it out. And so they'll start buying when they slowly figure it out, like six to eight weeks later. Wait, David, we just said uh, Nick Carter was our favorite Bitcoiner. Do you have two or were you, were yeah, you going was, to Nick? CK is my, 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 my homie, my in real life homie. Well, OK, yeah, <laughs> IRL so, friend yeah, IRL Bitcoiner. Friend, yeah. uh -huh. OK, there we go. All right. Well, what about ETH? Is that showing a better picture here? Nope, it's not. <laughs> did <the laughs> Thank you. ETH did the same thing. It, it jumped above $2,600. I think it peaked out at right below $2,700. And we are now down at $2,350 at the time of recording. Continuing exactly what Ledger said on our State of the Nation with him, which I continue to find extremely insightful and helpful. Definitely go watch that if you have not yet. But uh, it looks like crypto is just range bound between uh, for Ether between like 2000 and 3000 and big, uh, for Bitcoin between like, you know, 35,000 and 40,000. That's kind of going to be where we're going to hang out. That's kind of the gist that people are saying. I, I I still feel like Ethereum's kind of feel safe around above uh, 2000. So still feeling safe. But like mm -hmm. if it dips below 2000, not feeling so great not, not about ETH so price. Um, yeah, like Ledger, the, the TLDR of that episode, in addition to showing us how to trade, mm -hmm. which was, was much needed help for me, so he basically said that he thought there's a decent chance that ETH and Bitcoin are kind of flat right. from here on out right. for the year, for the remainder of the year, the next mm -hmm. six months. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about that. We'll have to see how all of this plays out. But of course- And also no one knows. Like, no one knows. New, new but, news can happen. It was a guess, right? right? It's like, and but that the the interesting thing about that guess is kind of it's kind of a contrarian guess because it's not how the pattern has played out in, in previous cycles, right? right? Mm -hmm. In previous cycles, this is either a lull and then we snap right back up, right. or like the market's over, we hit the top and it's all down, down, down from here for a while. Um, all right, ETH Bitcoin chart, the ratio. How is the ratio holding up? It's down a bit. Same kind of like ranging pattern. It's on the lower end of the range. The range that I think is being established is between 0 0.06 and 0 0.08. And we are at that low side of that range at 0 0.0612. Um, and so we are, if we'll see if we can, you know, re, like kind of bounce between these two ranges. Um, but, you know, so overall still pretty high Not too in, bad. in terms and, and overall, like, you know, historically 0 0.06 uh, Ether BTC is, is high historically. Um, Back to where we are in early March. Uh, sorry, yeah. early May. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Yeah, so much lower than BTC really establishing a floor. Perhaps, hopefully, it doesn't break down um, because we like that number to be high. At least I do. Okay. Speaking of breakdowns, I want to talk about that other ratio that we talk about every week, but not yet yeah. oh, because I yeah. think that has break bro broken down. David, hang, hang we'll have on, to see. Hang on. Don't don't count. Hang on your hats. Okay, we'll see. Um, Anthony Sassano, this chart is absolutely incredible. He says this is the amount of ETH locked in smart contracts it's at 23 percent of all eth supply in smart contracts um this is a similar level to what it was he points out which i thought was interesting at the dow event the dow of course like original 20 2016 when everyone in ethereum basically thought the dow was this killer app it was like a decentralized investment vehicle they just like shoveled the app. 
<laughs> they just yeah it was the only app and they just like everyone is so excited they just all eth holders there this is a very much smaller amount of them just shoveled all of their ether into the DAO. And of course, uh, there was a hack, a very famous incident, and we've talked about it a lot. But now we're back to where we were, except that at the time of the DAO, ether was worth 230 million ETH locked in the DAO. And everyone thought that was amazing. Now ETH locked in smart contracts is worth $63 billion. $63 billion, five years, pretty crazy. Yeah, there's two stories here. At the at the DAO, the event of the DAO, the reason why it was able to capture so much ETH is because ETH was extremely undistributed, right? And so while there was 22.5% of all ETH in there, it was really only a relatively small handful of players because Ether hadn't been distributed. Ether, Ethereum was one year old. And so it was really just a bunch of OG whales who had like Ether between one and $10. Um, the fact that we have an equivalent amount of Ether in smart contracts nowadays, is a story of how many more smart contracts there are to deposit ether into uh, and those smart contracts are really uh, now like comp uh, compelling places to deposit ether into and the other story of course is that ether this time around is very much treated as a monetary asset and the applications attracting all of those ether deposits are treating ether as a monetary asset and that's why they are receiving deposits and so the, really the the story of this is like in 2016 with the dow ether wasn't a money and there was only one contract to deposit the ether into and in, in, in 2021 ether is money and there's a ton of smart contracts trying to compete for those deposits and that's why ether is reaching like 22.5 percent of all ether deposited into smart contracts and I don't think it's going down at all. I think it's, it's I think it's marching it's, right up to fifty percent. It's so much healthier, right? So like about about ten percent is is distributed in DeFi mm -hmm. um, contracts. So all the Aave compound protocols we know and love, close to four or five percent or so of of that supply is deposited deposited into the Beaking Chain staking contract. So as you're saying, David, not all in one place. You look at this chart in twenty mm -hmm. um, sixteen. It's just like nothing, and then straight up does mm -hmm. not look healthy. Um, getting to where we are now has been a series of sort of apps that have really earned the ETH that they have in them. So it's just a cool story. It's going to be cool to see that. Let's talk about total locked value in DeFi because we always talk about it mm -hmm. every week. Um, we're kind of range bound again. I guess right. that's the story about 60 billion or so locked in ETH, uh, locked in DeFi right now. Yep. No, nothing too much there, except for the fact that Aave continues to hold the number one spot at 14.5% of all TVL is in Aave. Which is pretty cool. By a healthy margin, but you look at this curve is number two. Mm, mm, interesting. Interesting. Mm, unseating maker now has the bronze medal. Curve is cool. number two. Ave number one. DeFi pulse index. Are we flat on the week here too? Let me mm. zoom out to the week. Yep. A little bit flat. A little bit flat. Wow, what a boring market. It's flat and everyone's sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a flat market, I have no complaints. Um it just gives us more time to build cool stuff. All right. Look at Whoa. these numbers. These are great. Okay. We are now looking at the DPI versus ETH. And the, <laughs> I called the bottom at 0.13, said that that was the bottom. Uh, on Uniswap, DPI versus ETH is at 0.1299. On SushiSwap, ETH DPI is at 0 0.1301. <laughs> call it a wash okay. at exactly 0 0.13. <laughs> the, the 0 0.13 bottom call still intact. Still intact. I'm not not admitting defeat yet. You are hanging by a string, though. Like <laughs> this is just like 
there's no way this is going to stay intact for another week oh come on have some faith no possible brother. and have by the way it, it did drop look at this yeah but if it drops and comes back back up i'm still claiming victory it, it needs a meaningfully it has to be down. on our on our weekly roll-up like at the time of recording our weekly roll-up if it's below 0.13 if it's below for 0.13 for two weekly roll-ups in a row then i will admit defeat okay okay and it's got to well, be below go. 0.13 by like not just a sliver like a decent amount I, I isn't there some yes. goal posts yes. moving here no no shush no <laughs> <laughs> we'll see i don't think it'll hold no mm. matter how you move those goal posts david um <laughs> let's talk about this mind-blowing revenue numbers from index co-op really cool mm -hmm. dow to highlight really cool DeFi product as well um they made close to a million dollars in top line revenue over the past months this is like an etf killer it's mm -hmm. like DeFi's answer to blackrock um Black, yeah, BlackRock, Vanguard Group, like mm -hmm. like ETF um, products, index products, and uh, they're crushing it. This is a tweet by Peter Pan. I think this is the index co-ops org like, structure. It's like the org chart, right? Mm -hmm. David, but even, even broader sat, than that, it's like orgs plus partnerships. Yeah, we've we've gone to some index co-op calls. Like mm -hmm. I'm not into like I haven't done much in the index co-op DAO, but um, we've attended some calls, and that is just like it's fluid. They man. run. It's fluid. It is run well. Mm -hmm. um, everybody contributes. Everyone knows what they're doing. I really feel like the index co-op DAO is kind of a model yep. for other DAOs to learn from. Yep. Like, I encourage people if they're listening, if you're part of a DAO, index index co-op, if you're not the index co-op DAO, but like Bankless DAO or any other DAO that's forming, go check out what index co-op is doing, how they're managing their processes, because I feel like they're they're just nailing it and they're laser focused on. Uh, meaningful metrics that will um, deliver great products and deliver AUM into their products. Super cool. Yeah. The, and the reason why we are talking about literally the org chart of index co-op in the market section is because of the tweet that Ryan was just sharing a second ago. Like, is it a coincidence that index co-op, perhaps the most organized DAO in the entire space is also generating an insane amount of revenue? Like, no, I don't think so. And so this is a story of a DAO with on-chain smart contracts that puts money into the index co-op bank and off-chain people organi organization, organ organizing other people, right? So, you know, capital coordination, people coordination. Like there's a story here, index co-op, really killing it. Nice job, guys. Yeah, you're starting to see that even like the comment about Aave. Aave has managed their DAO and their operations very well. You're starting mm -hmm. to see DeFi protocols separate themselves, not just on the idea, but also on the execution and organization around that yeah. idea. And I think we'll continue to see that. Um, all right, let's go to what's happening next. Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. All right, so Bitcoin in the Lightning Network has accelerated to over 1,500 Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the through line here is that um, Bitcoin in the Lightning Network, the supply has really been flat for a very long amount of time, and it's finally setting new highs. Here's uh, the chart. So it's been, it's, it peaked out in July of 2019, uh, and then it, it dipped through all, out, all of 2020, and we are finally breaking into new, new highs of BTC supply in the Lightning Network. There's very much a renewed interest in the Lightning Network ever since the, um, the Bitcoin 21, 2021 conference in Miami. Uh, and that's being shown by more and more people depositing Bitcoin into the Lightning Network. Guess who else is excited, David? Jack Dorsey. Big shocker. Twitter. Jack Dorsey CEO says, uh, excuse me, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey says, it's only a matter of time before Twitter integrates Bitcoin Lightning Network. 
Only amount of time is kind of the same thing as saying soon TM. Uh, we've heard Jack make comments like this before. Uh, I'm waiting to see it. Uh, I don't really know what Twitter would do with Bitcoin integration. That's like meaningfully different than just like, why don't you also just like pass around dollars? I think more, more crypto Twitter or no, more Twitter people would want to pass dollars but, uh, around each other. But interesting to see what Jack has in store for a Lightning Network Twitter integration. David, I have a kind of a hot take on Lightning here. I know, um, I let's hear it. Okay, so I think that Bitcoiners should take a step back and ask themselves why Lightning has the tiny, almost minuscule level of adoption that it has, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I get that it's increased a little bit. There's 500, I guess, additional Bitcoin in Lightning over the past few months. But this is still a very small number. Like, it almost is insignificant. Like, it almost, right? And like, it, we've been talking about the year of, crypto has been talking about, about the year of lightning since like 2018. Mm -hmm. 2019 will be the year of lightning. 2020 will be the year of lightning. 2021. Um, I remember there were like memes in Ethereum about payment networks coming, like Raiden, for instance, and state channels and like Plasma. These technologies, these things didn't work out. But you know what? Um, like, I feel like the Ethereum community realized they didn't work out and then they moved on. And I also feel like the Bitcoin community is just stuck on the lightning meme and they're not taking a step back and looking at adoption. Like these numbers are small, David. Mm -hmm. We're talking about um, 0.0083%. That's yep. two zeros in front of the 83% of Bitcoin supply in lightning. We just talked about total locked value in DeFi right? 10% of all ETH, 23% right. inside smart contracts, 23% yep. versus 0.0083% of Bitcoin in Lightning. And I'm not being a hater here because I support non-custodial, bankless, peer-to-peer right. -peer transmission. I think Lightning as a technology is trustless and it's great, but we should also step back and ask ourselves like, why it's not working? Is it because people don't want to spend their Bitcoin? To your point, like stable coins, maybe the use case, like right. Bitcoin, digital gold. Hey, that worked well. I don't want to spend my digital gold. I'll spend my crappy fiat dollars. Maybe that's a reason. Maybe it's also the capital inefficiency, of these payment networks. Maybe it's user experience. Right. Maybe it's people don't care as much about decentralization when they can use a, a custodied Bitcoin bank for these things. Anyway, I'm, I'm just kind of over and kind of exhausted by the memeing of Lightning mm -hmm. without the real world adoption. That was okay in 2017, 2018 to get excited about these kind of like a 500 Bitcoin gain here or there. But like it's 2021, we have DeFi. Right. Like we, we don't need to settle for this. So if that feels like a rant against Lightning, I'm sorry. I appreciate the technologists working on this. Um, but at the same time, let's be real about our progress here. And the technology certainly hasn't panned out the way I think the advocates hoped for. And maybe we should think about alternatives. Yeah, I 100% agree with basically everything you just said. I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up in today's weekly roll-ups is, is kind of to give, and m maybe this is what you're critiquing is, but, but giving the Bitcoiners the benefit of the doubt. Like there was Lightning Network hype at Bitcoin Miami and Bitcoiners that I pay attention to are once again stoked by Lightning Network. Maybe that is just straight up Stockholm syndrome or some version of it where like they don't really have a choice. Like what else are they going to be excited about? Like Taproot is also here, but also is that really all that cool of an innovation that's up for debate as well? Maybe they're just beating the drum about like the one innovation that they have. 
Um, at the end of the day, uh, they're, they're, Bitcoiners are excited about it. They're talking about it. So we're talking about it in the news. Um, but yep. yeah, Ryan, everything you said, I'm kind of on board with. <laughs> well, we'll see. Look, I'd be super excited if um, right. this uh, Maybe this we're missing something. Me. We are not Maybe deep in the weeds. Missing. We are not Lightning Guys, Network at all. I don't run a Lightning Network node. Guys, yeah. if there's something we are missing here, reach out to David and I and tell us what we are missing. Um, oh, boy. Let's talk about... <laughs> don't ask that. <laughs> No? Okay. <laughs> I'm sure the bankless audience is, is friendly mm -hmm. and it's certainly open-minded. All right. Um, let's talk about this. Bearish uni fee accrual. This is super interesting, David. So the top Uniswap um, pool right now, so if you recall in Uniswap V2, there was only one fee pool mm -hmm. percentage. Like fee every structure, fee, yeah. mm -hmm. fee structure was set at point. 3% every single pool. Yep. In Uniswap V3, you have three different tiers of pools. I believe it's three. Um, there's yep. a very low uh, tier of pool where it's where it's 0.05%. There's still the standard 0.3%. And I think there's like a 0.5%, right? 1%. A 1%. Okay. So 0.3, there's one whole percent. It's not 0.1%. Yep. Nope. 1%. Okay. So there's really expensive, there's mm -hmm. the way it used to be sort of normal, and there's low fee. What's really interesting is the USDC ETH pair, the lowest um, fee tier, the 0.05%, just surpassed the 0.3%. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about that is it means Surpass less it in fee. volume, in trading volume. Exactly. Yes, uh, that, that's important. Not total loss. Over value, the last 24 hours, not volume. over the last seven days. Correct. So we can't extrapolate this trend until we see a trend too much. Mm -hmm. But what would be interesting, I think, mm -hmm. is if low fee liquidity pools um like one out mm -hmm. and like why wouldn't they win out right um but the the analysis here the second order analysis here is probably that what could happen then is some of these pools commoditize and then fees are lower so possible fees back to uniswap holders in the form of revenue right. are also lower so does this start to chip away at the armor of any kind of amm um, value accrual, token value accrual, uh, hope, mm -hmm. right? So like the idea that, Hey, these, these pools will just commoditize and fees will kind of collapse to near zero. And, um, there won't be much revenue generated over the long term by automated market makers. I mean, it's good for users, mm -hmm. but for holders of the uni token, what do you think this means? Yeah, th I think this is an extension off of very early Ethereum conversation in 2015 to 17, where people were talking about the power and possibilities of smart contracts. And people are saying, you know, this is all going to be open source software because if somebody makes a smart contract on Ethereum that implements a fee, people will just fork it and do it without the fee. Turns out that's, that never really happened. And really what's happening instead is instead of forking out fees, DeFi apps are competing to get lower and lower fees, right? They're, DeFi is a crucible of capital efficiency and fee competition. And we are now like converging upon lower and lower fees as this competition gets more and more intense. Uh, and so the 100%, the lowest fee tier structure of Uniswap generating the, more, the most volume on Ether to dollar pairs is really, really interesting. Usually that, that the, the thought was that lowest fee tier, the 0.05% fee tier was really kind of meant for stable coin swaps or like to like asset swaps, just because it, wh why am I paying a whole 0.3% on like trading crypto dollars, right? Why am I doing that? Um, less, less, the, the, it makes more sense when, you know, things that are like priced stay inside of the same bound to have a lower fee for that. But now we're seeing Ether trading in that lower fee tier. 
but the other half of this argument, the, 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 to, to continue on with what you were saying, um, it's it, the Uniswap has less margin that is available for them to capture fees on in theory, right? If, if everyone is trading in this lowest fee tier, there's less of a, you know, total collected fees for the uni token to really capture if it ever wanted to turn that on. But if we go back to our conversation with Joel Monegro, it's more about, it's less about the specific revenue captured by the fees and more about the power to direct money, right? So if a lot of money and just value is circulating through Uniswap, regardless of the fee tiers, then the, and the uni token holders govern over the, the flow of funds, that's valuable for the uni token holders. And, and the way that he described this is that if all these users who are using Uniswap to trade and they're all using the 0.05% you know, trading pool, they are incentivized to, to keep that 0.05% like trading like the same, right? They want, they want to control that fee. They want to keep that fee low and that incentive to have power and governance over the fee tiers and how fees are directed is goes into de buying demand for the uni token. So it's less about is the uni token actually going to receive cash flows and more about how much is the uni token in demand because of the incentive to direct the cash flows of the Uniswap governance. And so Joel's, Joel's theory was that you don't actually need to capture cash flows in order to have a valuable uni token. Uh, and so this is a, do a domain that we're going to have to explore in this space. Like, Sure, there's a, there's tokens that will that don't capture actual cash flows, but they have power, and that's going to be an incentive to buy and hold the tokens. And so maybe we actually have to reconstruct how we even think about these tokens. That's it could be, yeah, it could be, and I see the other side of the argument. And by the way, this this uh, doesn't necessarily mark a trend. I mean, mm -hmm. Uniswap is generating massive amount of right. free, of fees in right. general. Fees but it are does down, make... but total revenue is up. Yeah, it does make me less. Um, comfortable, I would say, with uh, my understanding of DeFi token assets. Mm -hmm. We'll say, say it that way, because there's definitely, if you treat DeFi tokens as capital assets, just like stocks, and you can model them based on net present value, future cash flows, that's a very beautiful thing. If now we're saying the model is kind of shifted a little bit, where you can't just look at the cash that it generates. And it's this other thing. It's like this power governance dynamic. Power tokens. Power we tokens. Don't know how to, we don't know how to model that, right? Then that's- They're not capital assets, stuff. they're power tokens. I love that, I love that meme. <laughs> well, there you go. So we'll have to see how this plays out. Anyway, um, I thought that was super interesting this week. Let's talk about something else that's interesting. Nearly 90% of cryptocurrency investors surveyed said they weren't scared by May's brutal sell-off. What are they doing instead? They're planning to buy more. Mm -hmm. See, this is why this whole like range bound thing is actually a, a period of very high pain because no one's, no one's selling because people are still bullish. We still think well, it's who going is up. selling? Somebody's selling. Right. Yeah. No, no, very few people are selling. People are trying to accumulate because they want to buy more, but now we're accumulating at like 23 to $2,600 ether. That's a really tough price to accumulate at. Like it's kind of expensive. Yeah, everyone is still expecting it to go more, right? And so, like that's that's where the max max pain is. Is you know only the the most convicted people are really like ready to just yeet their funds into ether. Um, and so the people who are trying to stack as much ether as possible, they want to stack it below two thousand um, dollars. But a lot of people want to stack it below two thousand uh, dollars. And so it seems to be there's a lot of people with demand to buy ether, but it's also demand to buy ether at this you know historically this expensive price. This is crypto holders right now. 
First meme of the show. <laughs> Basically, what crypto holders are are the the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not effing selling meme right now. Uh, <laughs> even though we all got smacked by that 60% drawdown plus a little bit of a rebound, everyone is like, no, nah, I'm not selling. No way. Guys, we will be back in just a moment with some releases because the builders are still building. But before we get to releases, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Balancer is DeFi's most powerful automated market maker. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indexes, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart Pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we used a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool. To top things off, Balancer is reimbursing gas costs with BAL rewards meaning that your gas fees are reimbursed up to the cost of the transaction with the Balancer governance token. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the Balancer pools at pools.balancer.exchange today. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you, all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, guys, we are back with releases. The first is MetaMask is going institutional. Welcome to the layer of the blue fox, they said. I guess MetaMask is releasing an institutional version of their popular browser extension. David, what's happening here? Yeah, I'm actually not too sure. I would like to get a peek under the hood of what this new version of MetaMask is, which apparently is focused for institutions. It, to me, it's a, a if it's you know kind of similar to its current instantiation of a DeFi web you know a web browser that has your Ethereum wallet or connects to your ledger and allows you to connect to DeFi apps. How does it change if it's for institutions? Is it still a web browser? Or is it something else? Um, can I use it? I, I, I kind of want to find out what MetaMask institution is. Maybe I'm an institution. Um, I think that <laughs> some, some clarity around this would, would, would uh, be, be interesting. But uh, I'd like to see like what, what about MetaMask is different and now that it's for institutions. Interesting that MetaMask is going after the institutional client. And I think that kind of started with their... Um, their DEX order routing feature, uh, which, yep. you know, and starts to just bring a lot of the power of DeFi 
into the actual MetaMask interface. So maybe they're kind of just like, you know, being a white glove service, a white glove app. Yeah, I think this is going to be trend for DeFi. Like the Aave uh, institutional liquidity pools is mm -hmm. another like uh, DeFi opening its doors to institutions might be something that a lot of protocols and infrastructure in the space start to do. All right, David, let's talk about Alchemix because they released something cool this week and then there were some issues. What is Alchemix? What did they release? Yeah, so Alchemix is the DeFi app where you can deposit dollars and then you can get a dollar loan against your dollars. Uh, so interesting primitive. The What you do is you deposit dollars and then those dollars get deposited into Yearn and then you can borrow up to 50% of your deposited dollars in more dollars. And then the loan pays itself back from the yield generated by Yearn. Uh, and so you actually don't have to pay back your own loan, it just pays back yourself itself over time. They just, Alchemix just uh, released its long-awaited Al ETH, which is the same thing I just described, but now instead of dollars, it's now ETH. So you deposit your ETH into Alchemix. Alchemix goes and deposits that into urine into other places, and then it gets yield on that ETH and to pay back your Ether alone. Uh, and so then you can deposit, you know, I don't know, 10 ETH into Alchemix, you can immediately borrow 5 ETH against that 10 ETH, and then that 5 ETH that you're borrowing will slowly pay itself back over time. So it's really just this magic tool to deposit into Ether into, and then you wait, and then you have more Ether after you're done waiting. Uh, and so it's pretty cool. You get to bring your, your ETH interest forward in time, basically, yes. and spend it now. Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, and, and so really for the, for the ETH bulls out there who are long-term oriented, long-term focused, and are bullish ETH no matter what, this is a great product for them because you already have ETH. You put the ETH in the Alchemix, and then you wait, and then you have more ETH later. Uh, and so if you're, if you're, if you have, if you're bullish ETH and you have a long time horizon, this is the product for you. It's been a very anticipated release. And now that it's finally here, everyone's super stoked. Had a little bit of a hiccup out the gate. There's a little bit of a, a, a bug in, uh, uh, in the, in the code, uh, nothing terribly critical. Um, but basically the, the initial depositors were able to borrow Al ETH and then also withdraw their collateral. Uh, and so that's bad. Uh, so they paused <laughs> the contract. Uh, funds are safe. No one really lost any funds. Um, uh, but there's a, they, they paused the contract. They, they fixed it. I, I don't know if they've redeployed it or not. Um, but basically they are, here's, here's the section that uh, I think is, is worth reading is how are we going to put this right? Um, first off, we know that we have the most amazing community in DeFi. This is an indisputable fact. So we are asking if you would like to support the protocol, the DAO and the devs, please consider distributing any excess ETH gained during this time to the new transmuter, right? And so some people were able to withdraw their collateral before their debt was repaid. And so there's slight, a slight like incorrect order of operations with how Alchemix worked. Uh, and so, um, that, that's what they're asking to do. If you benefited from this, please go put your ETH back. Um, yeah, if you want to be a white hat, accidental white hat hacker, I don't know. Um, but, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the, the, this is, uh, just, I think going to be a small hiccup in the rollout of Al ETH. It doesn't really affect the protocol in the long term. Nothing about, uh, urine was in, impacted either. Uh, and so, uh, so congratulations to Alchemix for getting Al ETH out the door. Sorry about the hiccup. Uh, I believe in you guys in the long term. Yeah, ag agreed. That's a that's a good take. Let's let's talk about this too. We talked about index co-op earlier. Time to David. get in bed. What is bed? So, um, you know, we we've made no secret that we're bullish on kind of three different two different asset classes and three sort of sets of assets mm -hmm. entirely. The two asset classes are crypto mo money and the banking infrastructure on top, so DeFi protocols primarily, right? So, crypto monies and the bankless thesis are Bitcoin and ETH. 
And DeFi protocols, of course, are the DeFi tokens. And you can buy them all at once without having to guess by doing something like purchasing the DPI index, which is mm -hmm. super cool. Now, the Bankless DAO and Index Co-op are combining forces to give you one asset that puts that smushes that portfolio together in a third Bitcoin, a third ETH, a third DPI. So you could buy one token and kind of forget it. This is something that you and I have been excited about for a while. Um, we actually proposed this on the Index Co-op Governance Forum. Like, hey, you should make something called a BED index. Mm -hmm. What does BED stand for? Bitcoin, Ether, DeFi. Uh, and um, now the, the Bankless DAO and Index Co-op are actually bringing that to market. So vote passed. Um, through Index Co-op to go work on that, bring that to market. I think it should be just a couple of weeks away, but it's super cool to see two DAOs working together to come up with a new um, index, a new financial primitive. And uh, I'm excited to uh, to talk about this in Bankless Material because I think it's a great way for people to get started on their crypto journey with some investment exposure that doesn't involve a whole bunch of garbage mm -hmm. that um, th they might end up buying if they're just looking for short-term pumps. The, there's so many things to talk about here. You, you hit on one, which is DAO to DAO collaboration, just two DAOs making products. Uh, and so DAOs don't necessarily have to go to the outside world. They can just talk to other DAOs to make really awesome products. The meme is absolutely fantastic. Sleep comfy. <laughs> We're going to have fun bed. with that. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Bitcoin and Ether, the two crypto monies, and then also DP, DPI, the, the set of tokens that are capital assets, cash flowing assets, really gives you the full spectrum of what Ryan and I consider to be the most quality crypto assets in the entire space. You know, there, there's really only two ecosystems with full blocks, that's Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and then there's really only other, the tokens that are out there are that are cash flowing tokens are the tokens that are inside the DPI. Uh, and so you can sleep comfy in bed. And I'm really excited for the Bankless DAO to get these streaming fees coming out of this index. And so the streaming fees is being split between Index Co-op and Bankless DAO. So uh, you know at the market cap of the bed index in the same way the market cap of DPI uh, takes streaming fees and it gets split between DeFi Pulse and Index Co-op. Same thing. The, the more people that own the bed index, a small, uh, a small uh, streaming fee gets redirected towards the Bankless DAO and the Index Co-op. Uh, and I'm really excited for the Bankless DAO to put on its like marketing hat and, and salespeople hat, right? And because the, the Bankless DAO also super organized. I don't know if you've been in the, in, uh, the listeners been in the Discord or not, but it's one of the most organized and like exciting and vibrant Discord channels there are. Uh, and, I'm, and what happens when like we, ha the Bankless DAO has this product to really like market? Uh, I expect to see a lot of bed memory on crypto Twitter coming soon. On-chain cash flows. That's the story. Very cool. Um, let's talk about Lira, David. So Lira is DeFi's first complete options automated market maker. So this is another options protocol coming to DeFi, but this one's a little bit different because it uses some different compute it's using like a black shoals pricing model and apparently this sort of thing was super expensive impossibly expensive to deploy on something like the ethereum mainnet so they're deploying it in layer two a product a primitive that didn't make sense um an options primitive that didn't make sense on mainnet being deployed directly in optimism on a roll-up that's pretty exciting that's pretty cool uh this is just being announced it hasn't rolled out yet. I think it's also waiting for optimism. But um, I, I've seen the UI. I'm super excited about what they're what they're bringing to market. And just like the possibilities that Layer Two unlocks for DeFi. 
I really think options is a new frontier of DeFi that I expect to be built out in the next six months. I remember it was right around our first Ethereum Bulls podcast episode in November or December. Uh, and right when Ether was really making new highs, its first new highs since like 2018, I was like, damn, I should buy some options. Uh, where can I go get options on Ether? And the answer was centralized exchanges that don't doesn't take US customers. And so I couldn't. DYDX? Uh, uh, DYDX? I mean, without a, yes. That's margin though. That's not options. Right, true, true, right. yes. And so I went on to Darabit and I was like, oh, let me get in a Darabit account. Like, oh, like can't do US citizens, damn. Uh, and so I was like, well, what DeFi app can I do get my options on? Like, what's up? Uh, and turns out options are actually kind of hard to do on the main chain. So it's definitely a good product market fit to put on a, an, a layer two. Kind of wish that this was available when Ether was $600 because I, was, <laughs> I remember talking to my roommate, he's like, Hunter, uh, Hunter's my roommate. Uh, I think that Ether is going to be $4,000 by May. And if I had got those options, it would have no, been perfect. Say 4K I, by May. Did, did I, I said 4K by May. And I, I will get him <laughs> to corroborate this. Uh, he, he was teasing me. He was like, dude, I bet you wish you bought those options now, huh? And I was like, damn right you are. Um, wow. But, uh, yeah, no, options are going to be hot, and especially DeFi options. Uh, you know, think about composability with this as well. Like, what, what, what happens if you can tokenize an options position? That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a big space. And uh, once again, enabled by Layer 2, which is super cool. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of Layer 2 sidechain world, Paul Brody. So this is Ernest & Young. He leads their blockchain uh, area. Mm -hmm. um, super pumped to share that Ernest & Young, E&Y, is now delivering tokens on Polygon. Really cool. Yep. They're getting into the Layer 2 sidechain scene. A big four accounting firm is deploying tokens on site on top of Polygon at layer two. Like, let that sit in your brain for a second. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is definitely. Uh, Volumex Finance version one is now live on Ethereum mainnet. David, I haven't checked this out. Looks like they got a cool video, but what's what's Volumex? Volumex, it looks like it's a tokenized project to tokenize volatility. So it reminds me of the VIX index in you know the traditional finance world. Now we have tokens that track the volatility of other assets, right? So you know Ether volatility, you know maybe uh, you know Aave volatility, Uniswap we volatility. Can, we can we can bet on the volatility now. Yeah, you, you can bet on Hedge volatility. Against it. You're right, exactly. Uh, you know, really important DeFi primitive and, and just and another money Lego that probably has a lot of surface area to latch onto other money Legos. So that's going to be pretty cool. Live on mainnet. Um, yeah, here's here's an article where you can read all of the details behind that too. Um, Gitcoin grants round 10. Mm -hmm. Let's fund public goods together for the 10th time. Super cool. That launched actually on... Uh, let's see Wednesday of this week and is live 650k in matching for this grant round. Uh, anything you want to say about that, David? Yeah, this is actually the first grant round that Bankless will not have a grant. We are now Gitcoin alumni. Yay. <laughs> and so th we thank you it. to all previous uh, Bankless uh, donators to Gitcoin. Uh, we now consider ourselves not really needing donations anymore. Uh, and to, to some degree, that was a large, a large part of the confidence that we had in Bankless at large. And I know with me and my writing, I used to have my own Gitcoin as well. Um, people can prove out that they have market like product market fit on Gitcoin, right? And so it, it, it not only is it an initial seeder of, of capital from donations, but it also like lets people be confident that the product they, that they have is actually desired by the, the community. I, I, I know that I left my previous job to do Bankless sooner 
as a result of the signal that I got from from uh, Gitcoin. So thanks. Gitcoin. Yeah, I would say I would say, look, Bankless probably wouldn't exist without Gitcoin. I mean, there's some dark times in like uh, 2019 where I was like, uh, is anyone really reading this whole Bankless thing? <laughs> this is before we even started the, the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of a slog. Right. And uh, Gitcoin really gave me the confidence to kind of continue writing that the community was supportive of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, with without Gitcoin, I don't think Bankless would would be here. Certainly not in its current form. Um, yeah, yeah, I Ryan, don't know you, what you used to write every single ep edition of the newsletter at the very yeah, start. Yeah, and right? yes, exactly. And look, there there was a lot to it, and um, growth was kind of slow during the early days. Everyone mm -hmm. thought DeFi was dead, Ethereum was dead. All the stuff we were talking about didn't matter and uh yeah the, the community support really made a big difference so shout out to gitcoin thanks guys public goods now we have a self-sustaining media company uh on top of the, like bankless goals and on top mm -hmm. of ethereum so um speaking of media companies david someone else is launching a podcast What's this podcast? Yeah, this is Alexandra Botez. She is a chess streamer, a pretty big chess streamer on Twitch. And she famously had Vitalik Buterin on to play chess with him one time. Uh, she's really good at chess, so she absolutely spanked Vitalik. Um, but it was it was a fun <laughs> piece of content. And it turns out she's also, in the background, been learning about Ethereum. And so now she is making a more content specifically about Ethereum. Uh, and so she has a, a, an Ethereum developer friend, Torfer Benson, and every other week, she's going to be streaming about ethereum stuff so more ethereum content in the etherverse uh, big fan of that i consume basically every single piece of ethereum content that's out there uh, and so i'm ready to expand into new territory so alexandra thank you for contributing to the world of ethereum content absolutely maybe maybe come on bankless soon maybe we'll have some mm -hmm. content opportunities too all right david some drive-bys on the releases front dydx perpetuals uh, they are now listing Matic on DYDX. So super excited. Of course, DYDX is now fully deployed on layer two as well. So gasless transactions. What's the next one here, David? USDC live on Arbitrum. It's got its own uh, contract on address on Arbitrum. Um, and USDC on Polygon is already above $2.3 billion in market cap. Uh, and so Pete Kim, who I believe works at Circle, is that true? I don't know. Or maybe, maybe Arbitrum. Um, Coinbase. 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 Works at Coinbase. And he, he says, with all these scaling solutions going live, the summer of DeFi season two is already here. I'm feeling bullish at AF. Somebody is subscribing to the DeFi summer thesis. Cream Finance is subscribing to It looks like they are launching their money markets on Arbitrum as well. So everyone pouring into layer twos, everyone pouring into rollups, just like we thought it would play out. Can't wait for these things to, to fully open up those coming soon. Parcel, introducing Parcel treasure, Treasury Management for DAOs. Uh, it looks like this is a, a new service to help DAOs work with their own capital and, and also reward people that work for the DAOs. Uh, and I, I think really just the, the message here is that there's more and more infrastructure coming for DAOs every single week. Yeah, and uh, Wiren is one such DAO. They're mm. actually pioneering. They're developing their own infrastructure. Uh, we use a number of their tools, but they are giving a facelift to Wiren, uh, entire user interface facelift. And honestly, I love Wiren, but I think it needs a facelift. It so needs this the some, most, yeah. It mm -hmm. needs this the most out of all of the, the largest DeFi protocols, I would say. And this is starting to look good. So look for that coming soon. David, that is releases. Let's get to the news, shall we? Let's do it. All right, Bitwise, 70 million 
from Wall Street investors, including Stan Druckenmiller. Hmm. Pretty impressive. What is Bitwise? I know we've had them on on Bankless podcast before, but for those that don't know, what is Bitwise? Yeah, Bitwise has one foot in the financial advisor camp and one foot in the crypto camp and is now doing a very good job expanding into DeFi as well. Uh, so Bitwise has a bunch of index products. They have the Bitwise, you know, big market cap, the top 10 uh, crypto asset market caps. We reported on that not too long ago when Polygon broke into that Bitwise top 10 uh, crypto assets. They also have the Bitwise DeFi uh, index and a number of other indices as well. And so they are really bridging the gap between you know, home, like family offices and, and personal uh, financial advisors, trying to educate them and onboard them as to the merits of crypto assets and also DeFi. Uh, and so Bitwise just raised $70 million, not a small number at all, uh, to continue this fight. Uh, and so that, that Matt Hogan episode that we did with the State of the Nation was one of my favorite episodes. And that's kind of where we started chanting the chant that like, Financial advisors, they understand DeFi. They really like DeFi. It really lands well with them simply because it kind of fits into their uh, mental models that they already have about how finance works. Uh, and so yeah. really, really excited to see Bitwise like expanding the fold here. Definitely. They're definitely going to be a bridge to traditional finance for, uh, for Ethereum, for DeFi. Let's talk some other Ethereum stuff. This is the Polygon daily gas used chart. This is pretty incredible. Look at this ascent. Um, there's another chart I want to I want to pull up, which is uh, let me see if I can find it. Network utilization of Polygon, which is kind of off the charts. Let's see if I can find that. Uh, look at this, David. Network utilization. Yep, ninety eight percent. So Polygon has received full blocks for the last two to three days. So earlier in this podcast, I said that Bitcoin and Ethereum were the only ecosystems with full blocks. Uh, Polygon actually also has full blocks. I, I didn't include that earlier because Polygon's a, a layer two to Ethereum, but this is the first Ethereum layer two side chain scaling solution, whatever you want to call it. There's there's debates and arguments. It's about what the correct label is. Um, basically, it's a scaling solution. Act, it looks and feels like an L2. That's why I call it an L2. And it's got full blocks. Uh, and so it's the first Ethereum suburb that is now sold out. Like everyone's living there. Like it's now the first saturated suburb of Ethereum. So that's pretty cool. And of course, people, when a suburb gets saturated and there's lots of traffic, people complain about the traffic, mm -hmm. uh, and rightfully so, because when you're in a full block blockchain ecosystem, things get slower. There's congestion. You have a harder time getting transactions uh, through. Gas fees rise. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, Polygon, initially, when he started using it, used to be basically free. Yep. Um, co gas costs, Matic tokens, of course. But now I think that is no longer the case. You have to sort of bid mm -hmm. more Matic tokens in order to get a transaction through. So it's a different user experience. But yeah, the story here is a suburb is of Ethereum is filling up uh, and we're starting to see full blocks already on some of these sidechain networks. Uh, kind of cool, kind of interesting to watch. There, there's a ton of things to talk about. Like, first off, already full blocks on an L2. Well, maybe the listener's like, well, damn, I thought it was a scaling solution. It's already saturated, like WTF. <laughs> like, what's up with this? At the end of the day, the amount of block space that Polygon has versus Ethereum is like, uh, I can't remember the specific, specific numbers, but I think it's like 10 to 30x, right? So I, I think it's closer to the 30x range, whereas there, there's literally 30 times as much capacity than the Ethereum main chain. And so while while the blocks are full, transactions are still really, really cheap. They're still under a penny for a transaction and they happen in like one to two seconds. So it's still scale, but now there's 
now there's we just know that there's demand and that's the other part of the story is it's very obvious that there's a ton of demand for l2s uh, and this is in stark contrast to the lightning network which has been really really slow to adopt and grow and ryan kind of why you had that lightning network rant early in the show like no we know that people want l2s we know that they work the demand for them is reaching 100 percent of its capacity and the other cool thing about the story is that polygon validators are now receiving a decent amount of rewards in matic token Tokens. Uh, and so just like Ether stakers are going to be receiving Ether on the main chain, uh, Polygon and Matic stakers are receiving Matic rewards on the Polygon network. Uh, and so this is a, a crypto economic system that is alive now. With, with full blocks, that's where I start to consider these crypto economic networks to be alive systems. So congrats to Polygon. It's going to be interesting when Arbitrum launches to see how long it takes for their blocks to fill up completely, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, and the interesting thing we learned in the Arbitrum conversation we had with them is, let's say they're calling Arbitrum 1, the first roll-up they release mm -hmm. in Arbitrum technology, let's say that gets full, what do you do? You release a second one, right. you release a again. third one. Do it again. You could keep doing this right. until the Ethereum main chain is congested uh, with like roll-up transactions, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> So we've and got a lot of space vision. here. That's the vision. That's, that's the why vision. we call it that is... roll-up centric Ethereum. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about this. So Mark Cuban has been experimenting pretty heavily with DeFi. He put together this great blog post called The Brilliance of Yield Farming, Liquidity Providing, and uh, Value in Crypto Projects. A lot of great insights. He also talked about, there's a small mention of a yield farm that he was doing inside of the Polygon network. I think it's um, a Titan was the yield mm -hmm. farm. Um, Titan, in it, this is some kind of an algorithmic uh, stablecoin, David, and he was yield farming that, and he's talking about it in the post. Well, unfortunately, Mark Cuban got rug pulled, David, in the Polygon network. Mm -hmm. um, I, I call it rug pull shorthand, but it's actually more like a, a bank run of some sort. The algorithmic stablecoin mechanism just broke. And even using the term stablecoin for these things is is sort of um generous mm -hmm. i would say right. because this is not a collateral backed stable coin it's sort of a meme energy ponzi backed stable coin we talked about this in, in the past and there are different mechanisms that work better for these things than others but none of them have worked perfectly none of them have worked long term at all so a very speculative liquidity pool uh he was dabbling in and uh he got rug pulled mm -hmm. with the rest of them uh, he, he says this, I got hit like everyone else. The crazy part is I got out, thought they were increasing their total locked value, then bam. Bam meaning like money gone. Right. I'm not sure how much, just a tiny amount for somebody like Mark Cuban, of course, but um, also a negative experience mm -hmm. in uh, in DeFi in his, uh, in his journey. What are your thoughts? Well, these are the traps that you find on the frontier. And, and right, just to say, the reason why you say rug pull is because it went to zero. There was no malicious actor here. The crypto economic yes. system fell apart. Uh, the incentives broke down. Uh, and there's a, there's a critique going out there from Hazu, which I think we're going to get to, uh, where the incentives for these uncollateralized stable coins are the same thing as like a Ponzi, right? And not, not a Ponzi scheme, because a scheme implies that there's an actor that does the rug pull, but a Ponzi game, where at some point the game is up and everyone runs for the doors. Uh, and so here, here's what Hazu says. Uh, apparently, um, uh, Mark Cuban called for that there needs to be some sort of re a regulation around the label of um, a crypto dollar or a stable coin, because not all stable coins are the same. You know, there's there's over collateralized stable coins that with like die that has worked very very well, and then there's uncollateralized stable coins which literally zero have worked out 
out for the long term. And so um, Hazu is quoting Cuban here when he says, we need regulation to decide who is allowed to call itself a stable coin. And then Hazu says, the sad thing is he has a point and the DeFi community only has itself to blame for that. The community has entirely failed at self-regulating what a stable coin is supposed to be. And then in a follow-up tweet, Hazu said, um, at every opportunity, I have warned that under-collateralized stablecoins cannot work. Some of them can survive for a few weeks or months, but they all fail eventually, leading to large financial loss for participants. Shame on everyone who still calls them stablecoins today. Mention, mentions them in the same articles as USDC, USDC USDT, DAI, etc., instead of what they actually are, pure Ponzi schemes. So... Hazu with a scathing critique of uncollateralized stablecoins. And to his point, we haven't seen an uncollateralized stablecoin actually work yet. Uh, and so um, that is the story of Mark Cuban got his first, uh, again, it's tempting to call it a rug pull, even though that's not the right word, but like, congrats, Mark Cuban, you got your first, like, you know, uh, damage. Your, your, th your thing went to zero. Sorry, your thing went to zero. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, so, but here's the thing. So I, I read the kind of the, the Mark Cuban quote, and by the way, he said this in a passing way. So I'm not sure if how much he really meant that we need regulation to decide who's allowed to call it. So like he, he also admitted, Hey, this is a crazy speculative thing. I lost money. That's how it goes. It's like angel investment. Like you win some, you lose some. Um, but like having regulation decide what is allowed to call itself a stable coin in DeFi is an absolutely terrible idea. Like I get Hasu's point right. that, um, yeah, these things aren't really stable coins. Like they should be called something else, um, you know, because they haven't earned the stable coin quality yet. Um, but like people who are in this know that already. I mean, like people who listen to Bankless, we know the difference between Elgo uncollateralized stable coin and something like DAI, and then something purely centralized like USDC versus something like like Rye. Um, but to have regulators step in right. and put a whole bunch of regulation around the language that mm -hmm. the ecosystem uses, bad idea, really bad idea. So anyway, maybe next time we, we have Cuban on, we'll talk about this a little bit, mm -hmm. um, go into some depth here. I just, I this is kind of how the industry self-polices, to be honest, right. David. Like, People, people get hurt. Right. And then they're like, oh, we won't do this next time. Right. Like ICOs. Ouchie. Oh, we won't. Ouchie. Humans yeah. tend to avoid pain, by the way. That's something we've adapted to do. Exactly. So this is all part of the market learning, in yeah. my opinion. We do not need regulation to tell us what terms to use. Hazu says that the community has entirely failed at self-regulating what a stablecoin is supposed to be. I still think that we have that potential to do that. Um, and now is the time. I think Hazu is perhaps being a little bit hasty yeah, with, with saying he, that we haven't done it yet. He is. And I think that like a lot of people in the community have been educating on this. It's just like people saw huge APYs and they got greedy, mm -hmm. you know, and this is kind of what happens. Um, anyway. All right, David, Instadap, $10 million raise, uh, new funding. What's going on? Yeah, Instadap is a middleware protocol that helps bridge different apps and just allows you to more efficiently transfer assets between them, raise $10 million, and also release the Instadap governance token. And so if you are a uh, recent user of Instadap, you may have a governance token to claim. Some airdrop stuff going on. Goldman Sachs plans to offer Ether Futures options to its clients as well. This is another bank entering into the crypto futures market. Ether, once again, being more and more institutionalized and financialized as a commodity money in the traditional finance world, which is something that we want to see if we are thinking that Ether is actually going to be adopted as a global money. 
we're talking about synthetics and, and DeFi. DYDX with an absolutely monster raise, a $65 million Series C raise. This is a team that has already expanded into Layer 2, and this round was led by Paradigm. David, uh, DYDX seems like they are in it to win it. What are your thoughts here? Uh, congrats to DYDX. It's been one of the longest standing DeFi apps around. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and say that there's a token coming. <laughs> I think there's a token coming. Seems like it. Uh, NFT world. What's going on with Pleaser DAO? Shout out like Pleaser DAO. Shout out Pleaser DAO. Pleaser DAO keeps on going to bat to buy these ridiculously priced, uh, you know, internet culture NFTs. They just bought the Doge NFT for a whopping one thousand six hundred and ninety-six point nine. This little guy. This, this cute thing. Th this this cute thing. Uh, the, this, this was is worth seventeen hundred ETH. Seventeen hundred ETH. The OG Doge photo, right? And like the other cool thing about the story is, uh, Ryan, go down to the bids history. The first bid came in at um, seven hundred twenty-five point four twenty sixty-nine 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 ETH, and then that got got bid up by seven thousand. Please, you're down. Look at this. It's it's, it's all meme numbers. 1000.696669 got beat by 1069.420420420 which got beat by 1234.567889 eth which got bid oh, man. which got beat by 1337. Look at this guy, don't you feel bad for a uh, $2 hot dog doge? <laughs> two $2 right. hot doge uh, and then two, the second to highest bid was 1420.1337 ETH, which got beat by the winning bid of 1696.9 ETH. So the me the bidding itself is actually a meme, which is absolutely awesome. Who who owns this? Who does Please this or Please or Dow. No, no, I know who owns it now, but like who is the creator? Is this like Oh, the the, uh, the owner of the original Doge. No that, way. And look at this. Mm -hmm. This is what's cool, uh resale royalty. So anytime, like if, if Pleaser DAO sells this in the future, the original creator um, gets a 10% royalty mm -hmm. on that too. Mm -hmm. Pleaser DAO is just sucking up all of the coolest, most expensive beams in this space. And they are also yet to lose. They are undefeated with buying NFTs. So congrats to Pleaser DAO. You know what's funny, David, though? It's like, I remember you didn't think there was much behind NFTs not too long ago, right? Like, so like, What's changed for you? Because is winning all of these NFTs a good thing if they're actually like silly pieces, like scare, JPEGs mm -mm. that you can copy and paste? I, I, I want to know what the evolution of David's thought process on e NFTs is because now you're a member of Pleaser DAO. It sounds right. like you're mm -hmm. bullish on this. Mm -hmm. Is it like the collective purchasing organization that you're bullish on? Or are you actually bullish that this um, picture of a dog is worth 1700 ETH? No, it's not. It's not the picture of a dog at all. It's it's owning a piece of internet history. That's what's so awesome. Uh, I'm I'm definitely find myself a DeFi guy, not an NFT person. I don't speculate on NFTs myself, but I'm very happy to be part of a DAO that is literally buying pieces of internet culture and claiming it for themselves. That's what I'm interested in. Uh, and so there, there's a decent amount of leadership inside of Pleaser DAO that uh, all I all I all, I'm kind of a relatively passive member. I just put my capital into the DAO and say, hey guys, here's some. Money, uh, go buy NFTs with it. And I really didn't even put all that much in. I kind of wanted it to be in the cool kids club, uh, but <laughs> but Pleaser DAO is straight up owning like deep cultural pieces of the internet, and I'm here for it. 
it, it's part of the cool kids club but it's also like the way you learn mm -hmm. is the only way you learn is by participating in these types of groups and actually doing it yourself so uh it's it's super cool i wonder what they're going to do with all this like open a museum or what um oh, they got plans and those plans are going to come on bankless at some point in time oh we got to talk about that Alpha all right um let's get to some bitcoin stuff the world bank reject el salvador's request to help them el salvador i guess went to the imf and said hey could you guys help us implement bitcoin because they needed some assistance mm -hmm. in a few ways. And uh, the World Bank came to them and said, no. no. Why? Because Bitcoin has environmental shortcomings and transparency shortcomings. So we're not going to help you, El Salvador. Yeah, that's uh, Nick Carter would say that these are two things on the FUD dice, you know, environment and transparency. I can't think of a more transparent system than a public blockchain. So I don't really know what they mean there. Um, but the the other take here is that the powers that be are not helping Bitcoin get adopted. Yeah, I don't think they like El Salvador's move here. Um, Paul Turo Jones, he talked about Bitcoin diversification this week or crypto diversification, uh, particularly in the lens of inflation, coming inflation. He said that people should have 5% of their portfolio allocated to Bitcoin as they face the threat of looming inflation. 5% didn't seem too long ago where that number uh, hedge fund advisor, well, first of all, they, they were talking 0%. So no one was recommending this. Right. Then it was like 1%. Now mm -hmm. it's 5%. Mm -hmm. um, pretty interesting from someone like Paul Tudor Jones, who is a respected figure in institutional investment circles in, on Wall Street. Any thoughts here? Yeah, the really the interesting thing is that he says that unlike human nature, this cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, is 100% certain. So high conviction from from paul tudor jones also but you have to kind of understand like if it is 100 percent conviction why isn't his portfolio 100 percent bitcoin hmm oh you, you just triggered another meme david just open <laughs> up the door <laughs> so here, here here's the uh the shifting eyes gnome meme where paul tudor jones says i like five percent of my wealth in bitcoin and then there's me and then the shifty eyes gnome uh, gnome meme is implying that like Oh, I got way more than 5%. <laughs> My portfolio is Bitcoin. <laughs> I think millennials do. I think mm -hmm. Gen Z does. Right. Um, I know we've got some takes about that later, but uh, There's yeah. There's your sec second meme Easter egg. There we go. MicroStrategy unveiled another billion-dollar stock offering. It says the proceeds can be used to buy Bitcoin. Another week, another MicroStrategy. This time, they're getting into more esoteric financing. They want to get as much cheap fiat as they can to purchase Bitcoin mm -hmm. through any means necessary. That's what MicroStrategy is really turning into. It's, it's pretty interesting that Michael Saylor is doing this and being so blatant about it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. It used to be like, I, we want Bitcoin on the balance sheet to protect our company from inflation. And now it's we want to turn MicroStrategy into a holding company for Bitcoin, just absolutely, completely, blatantly. Um, we'll see. We're, MicroStrategy is about to blast through that 100,000 Bitcoin uh, supply mark on the balance sheet. Like, let's see where they end up. Like, do you think he makes it all the way to 200,000? I have no clue, but like, he's gunning for it. 200,000 is a decent portion of the yeah, supply. Yeah, of 21 uh, million? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. David, I think you just unlocked another meme. Here we go. 2010, this is a meme out of our Bitcoin. 2010, no one uses it. 2012, only computer nerds use it. 2013, only drug dealers use it. 2014, only money launderers use it. 2017, only gamblers use it. 2019, only a small percentage of the population uses it. 2020, only small companies use it. 2021, only small countries use Bitcoin. What happens in 2022? We will find out. Wow, nice. All right, David, um, sorry. Kill that. 
awkward pause. Okay, on the regulation and crypto banks front, David, Coinbase listing SHIB. Uh, this timeline is both amazing and horrifying, says Anthony Sisano. So SHIB is one of those it's doggy, doggy tokens. The leading doggy it's token. Definitely Ponzi meme coin uh, mm -hmm. territory. Coinbase lifting, li listing them. I remember in 2017, 2018, Coinbase had an entire framework right. that it went through before it listed a token. Has that just fallen by the wayside? Completely. Like Coinbase just... Yep. Okay, um, I guess why? So like, one, are you mad about this? Does this annoy you? Does this anger you? Uh, so the reason why that framework came about was in 2017, a bunch of ICOs were actually securities. And so they needed to put that framework out there to like as a defense, like, you know, here, here we're, we're doing our best to like only list legitimate assets. And so like that kind of just got relegated to history. And now that Coinbase doesn't really need to defend itself against anything anymore because the SEC is not really coming after them. So the SHIB, it's not really a security. Now it's just kind of this, this, this whatever token to some degree, like Coinbase needs to serve demand. And if there's demand to trade SHIB, then like it's Coinbase's job to allow that to happen. At the end of the day, it's there's no further analysis to SHIB token. It's not like we can go and do a deep dive as to the fundamental analysis of SHIB token. It's just a doggy token. Uh, and so as far as like promoting the legitimate sides of this industry, this is not doing that. But like if there's demand, then like F it, I guess, like do whatever Coinbase. Did they, do they have a role in protecting um, investors, protecting their users? Or do you think it should just be like, you know, hey, if you demand it, we should list it free markets. Do we get to talk about how awesome Uniswap is to be able to provide liquidity to any asset and then knock Coinbase for listing any asset? Like, is that- I think it's a great point. So yeah. like, I think this is a great point and something that I struggle with, but like one thing I do know is um, I don't blame Uniswap at all. When you remove the ability to actually say this is allowed and that's not mm -hmm. allowed and you just say, it's completely open and permissionless. Anyone can list right. that absolves all responsibility to me. And that is like a fair mechanism where, where I have more trouble is when a, a gatekeeper can arbitrarily say, yeah, this asset's okay, but this asset, no, that's a no, no. And act in a sanctimonious way about why they're saying this asset's okay. And that asset's not, you know, like sure. we're not listing this to protect investors, but mm -hmm. we're willing to list this other thing. Right. Right. So, I don't have a big problem with with Coinbase listing this, I guess, free and open market. But um, I I I I'll be looking into the future to see if there's kind of right. double speak about like protecting investors. And I do think the the best model for all of these exchanges is not to have the ability to gatekeep. Right. And of course, you can't do that right. on a centralized exchange. You have to be a gatekeeper. But on Uniswap, um, anything goes, and yeah. I think that's great. Coinbase listing an asset is kind of like blessing an asset, right? Like people aren't used to complete crap being available to them. People, and that's one of the pitfalls that people come into is they, they go into Robinhood and they put, type in any ticker and they assume that there's some sort of quality to that, right? Because it had to get through all the regulations in order to be able to be traded on public markets. People come yep. into these crypto markets and kind of come in with that same mental model, thinking that the spectrum of crap to quality is roughly the same spectrum that they find in traditional markets, when really there's things that are way more quality, like ultrasound money, and then there's also the complete and absolute crap 
Like people aren't ready to tossle and, and deal with this massive spectrum of quality. And when Coinbase comes and lists SHIB, it's giving its 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 blessings, right? Like it's saying like, this is a good asset. Like we're it's okay, we're gonna list it. Like we, we like this one, it, but it's a goddamn doggy token. Like what the hell? Like I'm, I'm privy to both arguments. Yep, so am I. I. I understand both sides of that one. Um, let's talk about this. State Street is creating a dedicated cryptocurrency division. This is just another big bank. I think this is America's second oldest bank that is getting into crypto. I think that is really the story here, David. More and more are. Um, let's talk about this. Millennial millionaires love crypto. Did you know that millennial millionaires have at least 50% of their wealth in crypto? That just blew my mind when I read that headline that's coming out of a a recent um, survey that of CNBC did a millionaire survey of 750 investors and and noted that um, that number surprises me. Actually. Well, are they are they millennial millionaires because of crypto or they're millennial millionaires and now that they are allocating to crypto because crypto is made a bunch of millionaires. Can I answer that question? Tell me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's both. Right. I think they mm -hmm. became millionaires because of crypto, but also um, they're they're keeping their assets sure. in crypto. Sure, totally. Uh, th this reminds me of a of, of a quote, which is going to be a little bit unsavory, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, German physicist Max, Plan Mac Max Planck said that science advances one funeral at a time, or more precisely, a new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light, but rather because its, its opponents eventually die and a new generation grows up that is more familiar with it. And so millennials are slowly going to take over the world because boomers are just going to you know, pass on and then the millennials are going to inherit all of the boomer money and it's all going into crypto because millennials like crypto. And this is what happens every single generation. And I'm sure um, the children, the grandchildren of millennials will have their favorite asset class. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think crypto is, um, is absolutely crazy. Right. Who, knows? Who knows? Who knows what could happen? Um, this last one, Panama to present a crypto related bill in July. Is this the next domino to follow? Uh, follow El Salvador, Bitcoin, that Cold is. War. It's coming up. All right, guys, we're going to get to takes in just a minute. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless and you can do the same for your project. Thank you Uniswap for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. 
Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the hot takes of the week. Um, the first take I want to get into is a take after reading this very long article, fantastic research article called MEV, that's minor extractable value or minimum extractable value in ETH2. There's a lot to this article, don't want to get into it. But here's the key point. In ETH2, MEV goes to stakers, David. And I feel like this is a huge element of for ultrasound money that we just don't talk about. And they actually go through some numbers here, right? So when we talk about ultrasound money and uh, Ethereum issuance in, in ETH 2.0 kind of going to validators, um, we don't talk about minor extractable value. We talk about transaction fees. We talk about issuance. But, but minor extractable value, MEV, or minimum extractable value actually goes to validators too. And if you were to take all of the MEV from Flashbots today and kind of model that out and give that to validators now, the current AP are of um, ETH, if you start staking it in the beacon chain right now, is about 7%. But with MEV on top of that, it increases to almost 13%, mm -hmm. so 12.86%. So that's almost a doubling, like close to a doubling when you add MEV on top. Which All, all this to say, when you add MEV, I feel like some of our ultrasound money case was actually uh, a little bearish on the numbers. <laughs> like. We've made bearish content? What? I mean, just validators might make a whole lot more money. Mm -hmm. uh, and APYs could be a whole lot higher um, if you take into account MEV. And we don't actually know what that number is, but the minimum bound mm -hmm. is like a potentially doubling of right. the issuance that's available to them today. So that's pretty crazy. MEV is a really big problem, but one thing that gives me a little bit of relief is that MEV is this amount of ether that makes the blockchain unstable because of of uh, sinking um, because of um, there's so much fight to capture that MEV. Uh, go listen to the MEV panel that we had not too long ago to get more details on that. But at the very least, at least those MEV rewards go to the people that are protecting the network, and the people that are protecting the network are intrinsically the people that are most bullish on ether, the asset. That's who protects the network. So at least there's that. Yep, absolutely. Um Let's go to this next take. Frank Shaparo from The Block says, I would say about 99% of cryptocurrencies are either under or overvalued, which <laughs> kind of feels like a funny joke at, at first glance. But also there's, there's, something, there's something to say here, right? Like SHIB token, for example, I'm going to go ahead and put in the 99% in the, in the part that's overvalued. 
And then ether, I will go ahead and put in the side that's undervalued. And that's really been the story of this entire industry since Genesis. There are really big diamonds in a ton of rough. And the, the amount, like it's a struggle to learn about crypto. It's a struggle to understand this industry. And that's why coal gets mixed up with diamonds all the time. Like people start shilling EOS, they start shilling like Namecoin or Bitcoin gold, and people like can't really understand it too. Wow, too those, those are some those are some tokens from 2017, 2018 right? you dug up, David. Yeah, totally. Yeah, They're I gone mean, now. I, I could say some more modern tokens if you really wanted me to. <laughs> but like that, that's really the story like Bitcoin has been like having this narrative trouble with the, the rest of the world talking about how incredibly awesome Bitcoin is. And then people come into the industry and like, oh, but what about Bitcoin cash though? It's cheaper, right? And so this is the story of our industry is that the, everything is roughly around this, in the, playing in the same field. And some of these things are absolute coal and some of these things are absolute diamonds. And it's up to you to, to, to determine which is which. Yep, you gotta figure it out. That's what the quest is all about. Um... David, let's uh, t talk about this Kevin Owaki uh, tweet. This is in response to a tweet you made. You said, we are in accumulation phase. Don't miss it. You're talking mm -hmm. about uh, price Accumulating ether, yeah. Ether is yeah, in accumulation phase. And Kevin Owaki says, I've secretly been accumulating friends this whole time. Aw. Mm-hmm. That's and, sweet. And honestly, that's how you make it in this industry. Not only not only by doing a good job and, and dollar cost averaging responsibly into the assets that you believe in, but also during times of accumulation, which we previously called these bear markets, but now I'm guessing we're, we're now going to call these accumulation times because apparently crypto assets just don't go down, um, at least not too low, knock on wood. Um, but Kevin Owaki <laughs> says, during these times of accumulation, when you're accumulating crypto assets, don't forget to accumulate friends. If you want to stay in this industry for the long term, it's important to go west with us. Go get, find a buddy, find an accountability buddy. If you if you don't make find it through a, this, like find a business partner too. Find a business right? partner. That's what Ryan and I did. Hey, yeah, works for <laughs> it's us. It's like bear market. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, shared interests, friends, mm -hmm. relationships. Um, we're all pushing this industry forward, and this is a great time to build your network, build your crypto network. That's what he's talking about. In addition to having fun and making friends, right? right. Crypto can be fun. You just need some people to make some jokes with with you as you do it. It's not at all like Wall Street, right? Um, not this at is all. Another tweet. Okay. Uh, I guess you're responding to someone. You're saying, um, well, maybe I should go to the top. Most of the innovation in crypto is eventually just going to be known as finance. So we drop the the D from DeFi. We just call it finance. Somebody says open finance, and you say, nah, just finance. Traditional finance will be called closed finance. And then this guy says. The future Wall Street, in quotes, will be known as crypto Twitter. And then he said, oh, this is going on the on the weekly roll up. Why did you say this, David? Why does this uh, take speak to you? Yeah, Wall Street is this, uh, at least from the, the outsider's perspective, Wall Street is kind of like this insular group of, you know, insiders who make trades and bets amongst themselves and shares alpha amongst themselves. And it's, you know, it's a permission. And they all went to elite, right. like mm -hmm. you you know and seems very know. permissioned right and then exactly. crypto twitter is the opposite it's crypto twitter is wall street but on the internet where it's open everyone is shouting all of their alpha as loud as possible trying to get everyone to hear it uh, and so it's like Wall Street, but inside out. Also, this is Ryan Rasmussen, who is the new DeFi analyst over at Bitwise. Uh, Bitwise that just raised uh, $70 million. Also one of my in real life friends. Uh, and so nice. uh, congrats to Ryan for getting that DeFi job. He's a good follow. He's got a article coming on the Bankless newsletter uh, sometime next week. Very cool.
Um, all right, David, let's get to what you're excited about. What are you excited about this week? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm in San Diego. If you guys haven't figured out by my brand new empty apartment, uh, I'm in San Diego now. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And I'm also going to try and start up this Ethereum meetup group for San Diego. So if you live in San Diego or the Southern California area and you want to talk about Ethereum things in real life because crypto is taking over, we need to instantiate ourselves in the real world. Uh, part of my one of my reasons why I came to San Diego is because the beer is really, really good here. Uh, so I am trying, I'm going to go host a, an Ethereum meetup in San Diego. And so there's going to be a link in the show notes. If you are in San Diego and you like beer, uh, let's go and talk about Ethereum over some beers. The other thing I'm really excited about is the Ether Bowl episode that is coming, uh, not ne- this Monday, but next Monday. We had Anthony Sedano, we had DC Investor, the two, two guests from the previous Ethereum Bowl episode, uh, but Eric Connor got booted for being too bearish and we could replace him by <laughs> Cyrus Unessi, uh, former risk at MakerDAO. Uh, and I just really enjoyed that panel. We recorded that last night, Ryan. Uh, and that's coming out a week from Monday. Really stoked on that one. And I got three. I got a third one. It's the third thing I'm really excited about. There is a new show coming to the Bankless program. And that is Whoa. all I'm saying. But the other thing I'll say is that Ryan won't be there. I will not be there at all. I I might not even watch it, David. Oh, I mean, what? I'll watch the recording. I'm just not going to promise to watch every single one live. <laughs> but I'm super excited about this one. It's a, it's I think it's going to be tackling a whole new niche in crypto mm-hmm. that has been missing for a long time. So guys, stay tuned on this. What when are people going to get some news? Is it going to be next Tuesday on State next, of the Nation? Next Tuesday on State of the Nation, we will drop the alpha. But yeah, it's going to be a new paradigm of crypto content. New show, new podcast you guys can subscribe to. I'm super excited about that. Uh, all right. Ryan. You want to hear what I'm excited about? I do. Yeah. Tell me all about it. Look, look it's just, uh, I feel like it doesn't really matter what the markets are doing these days. If, if, if it's going up, if it's flat, if it's going down, really doesn't matter because DeFi keeps building. I, I really feel like at this moment, David, um, DeFi has reached escape velocity. Like we didn't always know that DeFi was going to work out, right? E- or even that smart contracts were going to work out. Like there was in the early stages, all we had was like maker. And it was kind of a question of, hmm, is this DeFi thing going to reach any product market fit or is it going to be a niche? I feel like, look, man, we just filled up Polygon mm-hmm. with DeFi stuff. And the, <laughs> you know, some of it's crazy, right? Some of it's silly, but we filled up the Ethereum main chain with DeFi activity. Now we're filling up entire neighborhoods and side chains like Polygon. Um, we have product market fit. All of these DeFi protocols have massive treasuries too, David. Like there's a lot of money sloshing around this space. Why? Because a lot of value has been created in this space. So that's self-sustaining too. And now with layer two, we have all of this new land, this new real estate to um, stake a flag in. So all of all of these reasons, um, I think, like culminate in this is this sense that DeFi is just going to keep growing. It doesn't matter whether it's it's making mainstream news, people are talking about DeFi, or the market's up or down. Like we're just going to keep building, and um, oh, that's a really fulfilling feeling. The flywheel is in full effect. There's like really nothing we need to do. The machines are just going to keep building, and uh, we're going to have a better financial system on the other side. So that's what I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Historically, betting against Ethereum and now also DeFi, it's been a bad bet. It's been a Absolutely. bad bet. 
Yeah. It'll continue to be. Um, is all right, time, meme of the week. Time, Ryan? I think it's time for the meme of the week. As if this would be like the fourth or fifth meme of the show so far. But yeah. like, like the episode is meme themed. We actually have like seven memes. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, what is this one? What are we looking at? We're not looking at oh, anything. I should share it. Here you go. Here it is, meme of the week. What are we looking at, David? We are looking at that Star Trek meme, and it's the uh, it's the the lady asking two friends, "Are you guys friends?" And the the lady is crypto newbie. She's asking two Star Trek people, "Are you guys friends?" One Star Trek person is Bitcoin, and Bitcoin answers no. <laughs> yeah, the second Star Trek person is Ethereum, and Ethereum answers yes <laughs> at the exact same time. I love it. So true. All right, next um, memes. Here we go. Sazzle shaved his beard and he says, in an effort to try and end this crab season, crab season is sideways season, uh, crab season market action, I have made the ultimate sacrifice to the beer gods. ETH may resume up only now. (laughs) Anthony Anthony Cesano knows how to market himself. He basically is just giving crypto Twitter a free meme format. Uh, and, his face and crypto, yeah, his face, yeah, it's the meme format. And crypto <laughs> Twitter absolutely took the bait and made some pretty awesome memes. So let's go through them, Ryan. Yeah, this is just a template he's providing. This is just the template. Twitter. Right. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Here, here's the Star Wars meme where uh, Princess Leia is smiling at Anthony with a beard, and then he shaves the beard, and then that's the Padme. Did oh, oh yeah, Padme, not a Star Wars fan. Um, <laughs> okay. and, and then Padme looks at it looks at Susanna without the beard, and the smile kind of disappears. Love it. Next one. <laughs> Here is Crypto Wife, uh, a great memer. Uh, I, I, you're going to have to, do you know this reference, Ryan? What this is I don't know this is? reference. This it is a reference like of, Anthony, of a TV show. Yeah. Is it, Anthony is like sitcom dad with mm-hmm. headphones. Now, kids, just because Coinbase listed SHIB doesn't mean it's a good investment. Talk to an adult if you're not sure. Dad <laughs> Sazzle. It's awesome. <laughs> Here is the meme of somebody uh, throwing up the peace sign in front of the grave. The grave says Sazzle's beard, and then there's Sazzle throwing up the peace sign. Uh, and then here's Sazzle in a Mario hat because of the mustache. is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> that's it. And this is not a meme. And that's the last one. So congrats, congrats Anthony. Another successful meme up in your pocket. <laughs> awesome, guys. That has been the roll-up. Of course, none of this is financial advice. ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. Crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. Thanks for joining us on the Bankless Journey.